We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. In 2003, Nike signed 13-year-old Freddie Adu to a seven-figure contract. But Freddie didn't live up to the hype. He has turned down every single documentary project looking closely at the details of his career. Until now. People are going to look at everything you did because of the hype surrounding your arrival and what they think you can be. I'm Grant Wall, and this is American Prodigy, Freddie Adu from Blue Wire Podcast. All you ever ask for is an opportunity. You got it today. Where else would you rather be than right here, right now? The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. Be aggressive. You have literally nothing to lose. You're a borderline football team. If I don't keep laughing about this stuff, my teeth are going to turn around and devour my brain. The Bills make me want Well, because I'm not a a strong believer in the Bills, I think that they're a good football team. I think they're going to win the division possibly, and they'll have a a nice playoff game at home. But outside of that, they beat Arizona. Arizona's not good to me like that. I mean, they lost to Arizona, and Arizona's not good to me like that. They should have beat Arizona handedly as far as I'm concerned. I I I understand that they took care of business against Seattle. They took care of business against the Raiders. But it was a Seattle team that didn't have those players that I mentioned uh, uh, that played against Arizona on the defensive side of the ball. It's a totally different team now than they were when those teams played them. Oakland's a Oakland. Las Vegas is a totally different team now than when they played them. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Rock Bell Report Podcast. I am your host, Bill's season ticket holder, Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Krueger. And that was ESPN's Keyshawn Johnson talking about why he doesn't think the Buffalo Bills rank in the NFL. Yeah. uh, How does our audience like that? I mean, I know Eric Harris gets on me for for playing Cowherd, who Cowherd had us in his top five. Keyshawn is an idiot. That guy's an idiot. We have we have so much of this to get into, folks. But first of all, did you all enjoy your bye week? Did everyone out there have a nice bye? I know I did. I know I had fun. Chris, you know how my Sunday went. We spent the early portion of it together. Yeah, we did. The uh, the old girlfriend uh, bought a fifty five inch TCL Roku television 
And I told her, I was like, oh, well, Drew and I can just hang this on the wall. Drew you, and I? Yeah. Because you have a stud finder. I don't... Oh, is it, is it the only reason, Chris? Yes, that you have a stud finder. Plus, you have hung a couple of TVs. I've never done it. Okay. So. I also own tools. Yes. I have uh, some tools. I also... Uh, Most tools I have are at my, my job. I also own... I don't know, like an understanding of how construction and carpentry gets done. Well, you were born into that. You're Puerto Rican. <laughs> this is what I love about our show. We out of the gate offensive. I love it. <laughs> There's people who have already turned this podcast off, but it's too late because you already downloaded it. We go into Chris's girlfriend's house. He tells me, show up at 930. I show up at 930. I think I have everything under the sun that I could ever possibly need. Plus, I, I, the night before, I had already started some things. Like, I, I attached the brackets to the back of the television. Did I you did it upside down. No, I did it correctly. Mm. I put it back on the same way I had it. You, no. You told me I had it wrong. I was like, no, look at this photo. You're an idiot. You can't see. This is correct. <laughs> Ultimately, I show up with multiple drills, socket sets. I've got my all my drill bits. No I, level. No level, which I had to go back to my house and get, which is funny because his girlfriend, now that I know where she lives, it's literally half a mile from my house. Yeah. Hilarious. So I go into this house and I'm thinking, okay, this is going to be a straight up and down job. It's hanging a TV. I've done my own in less than an hour. I should be out of here in no time and be able to go home and finish my own work. This room, Chris, it's corkboard on wood paneling glued to drywall yeah first of all that's lunacy it's a thin layer of cork like less than a quarter of an inch but it was enough to throw off the stud finder correct i could tell where the power was running yep but you and i both tested it and it was not accurately finding studs no it wasn't well we met we measured from each wall we did everything we, measure, we measured 16 and a half inches from each wall. Folks, this job drilled. took three hours to hang one TV, and I'll tell you why. Because she bought a house in Cheektowaga. West Seneca. West Seneca, Cheektowaga. West Seneca. So did I. And here's what I'll say, is that I ran into the same things when I was working on my house. And this is why I'm the best person for the job that you ever could have asked to help you, Chris. Because I have I, no other friends. Because I hail from a long line of jerry-riggers, okay? I've seen and done it all in cut-corner fashion, which makes me the perfect person for trying to figure out how someone else might have cut corners and half-assed a job, like putting up a wall. Chris, were the two studs that we mounted that TV to not 16 inches apart? They were 16 inches apart. But not, but, but when we measured from the corner of the wall... Nope. Not 12 inches, not 16 inches, not 24 inches. Yeah, it was like 30 inches. Of course, because idiots did that job. And it takes one to know one, which is why I'm the person who was perfect to be recruited to help you and your girlfriend solve your problem. Your girlfriend made a joke. She called us Tim and Al Borland. Yeah. From Home Improvement. Yeah. And that works. We firmly established that you would be Tim Taylor. Yeah. And that I would be Ella Borland. Because Chris constantly wears ties in all sorts of inappropriate spots. Like when power tools are involved or... 
I mean, you're constantly trying to be the good-looking one. Always. Between the two of us, right? Well, I mean, well, I am the good-looking one between you and me. Everyone knows that. I'm the one who inevitably steps in and actually does the work that we're describing and solves our problems. Yeah, well, I didn't trust myself to do it alone. A, I've never done it. (laughs) B, it's hard for me to lift things with my back. Oh, oh, baby, you want me to cry for you? Yeah, please. Please cry for me. Ultimately, it was a lot of fun. I told your girlfriend, I'm old man in the sea. You start me on a project, I'll tear this whole house down if I can't. (laughs) You were texting me that night like you were still fired up about hanging that (laughs) on the wall. And then, well, I was going to say yesterday, I figured out that hanging the TV on the wall is how I need to meet her son. She is a five-year-old boy. I have not met him yet. But we hung that TV on Sunday. The previous Friday, like nine days prior, she got the TV shipped from FedEx. And it was in... It was against the wall that goes into the kitchen. So you cannot walk through the front door and go to the kitchen without seeing a 55-inch television box for a week. Her son didn't notice it. (laughs) Did not. He comes home Sunday night and, like, sees this TV on the wall and thinks it's, like, the coolest thing. And my girlfriend was like, we didn't see. Did you not notice the box? This giant 55. No, he didn't notice it. So this is how I'm going to end up meeting. I came up with a brilliant idea of how I'm going to meet him. A lot of the times she'll order pizza and wings from Imperial. You got a five-year-old. You're not going to go drive and get the pizza. Put the five-year-old in the car. Go pick up pizza. Come back. So you DoorDash it or Uber Eats. That's going to be the play. I'm going to go get. We're going to do that at pizza and wings. I'm going to go get it. Go to her house, act like I'm a DoorDash driver, drop it off, then go sit in my car for 10 minutes and see if he remembers me. (laughs) Why are you antagonizing children? Because It's not his fault he doesn't pay attention to things. We're just going to see how observant he is. Oh, my God. It's a great idea. You two were meant for each other. I hope the rest of you out there in Bill's Mafia enjoyed your bye week. As much as we did, <laughs> clearly. We open this week's show, since there's no game to recap, with the AFC playoff picture coming into Week 12. I mean, we're firmly at the point in the season where it's time to start looking towards the postseason. And in what I think is a refreshing change of pace, we as Bills fans aren't beholden to simply staring at the wild card outlook. Chris, we got to celebrate that. Yeah, I'll need a fresh one here. That's that's right. You fill your hand, in the words of uh, Rooster Cogburn. And so in that way, I feel like we should take this opportunity to firmly set the table for what's going to be a recurring segment going forward every week where we bring you quick hits on the AFC playoff landscape and Buffalo's place in it. First of all, I'd like to go on record and say that all of the teams that I rooted against, now, not four, because that were, would require positivity, which, Chris, you've, you've hung around me enough. I'm not capable of that, right? No. <laughs> not on Sundays. All of the teams I rooted against lost. And that's worth something. So when you look at the Bills' odds, according to PlayoffStatus.com, 
The Bills' AFC East title odds are currently sitting at 77%. I don't even know what to do with that. According to DraftKings, the Bills are now minus $715 on the money line to win the AFC East and have the highest odds to win their division of any team outside of the Chiefs and the Steelers. How do you feel about that? Uh, pretty good. What are the Jets at? Minus 800? My, eight, my. <laughs> and their overall postseason odds, 91%. I mean, I feel dirty almost saying that. <laughs> They're a near luck to make the playoffs in 2020. And that makes me a little queasy, considering the 20 years of PTSD that... <laughs> I've been so desperately trying to shake this season. Chris, 91% odds to make the postseason this year. It's pretty good. You know what else is also 91%? What? You going to, not going to an orthodontist. (laughs) (laughs) It's also 91% odds. The divisional picture. Every week, we take a state, We take a look at the state of our division, how the teams fared, and what's on the horizon in our AFC's Roundup podcast, which obviously everybody listening to this subscribes to, so I won't bore you with those details. Although, in all seriousness, if you're not subscribing to that, I don't know, what, what are you waiting for? <laughs> it's, yeah, you, go get it. It's out tomorrow. It your feed. It's going to come out tomorrow. If you're missing out on that show, then I don't know what to tell you. It's It's been one of the most fun things we've done on this podcast in a long time. Needless to say, the AFC East is going to be far more interesting down the stretch than we all thought back in September. And there are some interesting wrinkles ahead. But looking elsewhere around the AFC, it's crazy how much parity there are in some of these races. And yet how little some teams have at their disposal. We start with the AFC North and the Pittsburgh Steelers. I mean, th- that division, Chris, is that is that easy to call? Yeah. I don't... <laughs> it is. I mean, they're the only undefeated team in football. They're now a lock. I, they, they've essentially pushed Baltimore into being a lock to have to fight for a wild card spot. Given the fact that they're four games back with just four weeks... Of football left to play. Mm-hmm. It's weird that being led by a quarterback in Lamar Jackson, who ESPN's Bill Burnwell claimed this offseason would have made Buffalo a Super Bowl contender. Not Josh Allen, but Lamar Jackson would have made Buffalo a Super Bowl contender. That their offense is so wildly inconsistent. It's almost like Bill Barnwell doesn't actually pay attention to games as they're happening in real time. What? (laughs) What an idiot. Oh, what a loser. They, the Baltimore Ravens have just two winning teams, both in their division remaining on their schedule. So they're still in the thick of the playoff race. But it's a notable drop-off for the former MVP and his team from last season's performance. And I think it could make things problematic down the stretch. Chris, if you can't trust your offense to execute when it matters... Yeah, it's because Greg Roman makes uh, too many plays. (laughs) That's the problem. Do you remember with the Bills, when they said he would dial up 97 plays for a given game, knowing that the team would probably only get 60 offensive plays at most? 
Yeah, over-preparing. Cleveland is somehow ahead of them at 7-3. and three. And interestingly enough, including this past weekend, the two teams face not one or two, but four common opponents. And in one head-to-head matchup. When you look at their narrow win over Houston, who didn't score until the fourth quarter but still had a shot to win, and this Sunday is just painful to watch win over the Eagles, which you sat through like an idiot. Hey, it's like watching a car accident. You you loved watching that Cleveland Eagles game, didn't you? Yeah, I, I could have watched the Tennessee-Baltimore game on CBS, but I chose otherwise. Cleveland isn't a team that anybody should put any faith in either. They're not the most talented team or consistent by a long shot. They're actually the only team currently in playoff contention with a negative point differential at negative 23. But their path to the wild card seems easier than what Baltimore has to contend with, and they're one win up on them as as of today. That division has the potential to field three teams, but I, I don't know. It's all up in the air right now. You look at the AFC West with the Kansas City Chiefs. This division quickly became a two-horse race here in 2020 between Vegas and Kansas City because the Broncos and the Chargers went a combined 3-7 and seven over their first six weeks of the season. I mean, both of those teams now currently hold single-digit playoff, <laughs> playoff odds, and they're both scheduled to play the Bills over the next month. Yep, Broncos game actually is uh, announced for Saturday, December 19th at 4.30 today. So there we go. We get the afternoon game on Saturday. You look at the Chargers, this week's opponent for Buffalo. They made short work of the New York Jets, but they led 21-6 to just 20 minutes into the game. And Chris, it wasn't coasting to a win. Uh, it was at halftime, and then I guess they tried to milk the clock. I don't know. Something happened. Something happened to that football team, which hopefully we'll get to talk to our guest about later. But I don't know. (laughs) I don't understand. That's something. Chris, isn't that something everybody except for the Buffalo Bills when they play the Jets gets to do is just run out the clock? Yeah. And then Denver beats Miami inexplicably to not only stop their own slide since they beat New England, but also give us Buffalonians a hand in the standings. So first of all, huge round of applause for Denver, but they're still miles outside of competitive standing. So thanks. Yeah. (laughs) And then the Raiders. The Raiders have put on arguably the best season under any of Derek Carr. He was electric on Sunday Night Football. Do you mean elite? Electric. I thought you said elite. Nope. Didn't say it. And to my eye, he spent most of the game actually outplaying Patrick Mahomes. I mean, he had four times as many passes of 20 or more yards. He was two for four for 48 and a touchdown on third down in the first half. And he started the game eight of eight and only had three incompletions the whole first half. Chris, that's elite football. I'll say it now. There you go. That's That's elite elite football. That division is still likely to only yield two playoff teams. I mean, and to my eye, the Raiders are the strongest six-win football team in the entire field, right? I mean, they're more explosive on offense than Miami. They're more consistent than Baltimore. Their defense is capable of holding mediocre offenses down. 
Cleveland, they held them to six points. Denver, they held them to 12 points. And four of their final six games come against teams with four or fewer wins. I mean, there's no fear for the Raiders of making the postseason. I feel like as a six-win football team, they they have a lot of confidence right now, right? Yeah, they do. Okay, so this division, in my mind, is a lock to land at least two playoff spots. And then you look at the AFC South, and this is wild. Before Sunday, I had Indy penciled in as the leader. And then at halftime of the Indy game against Green Bay, I switched it to the Titans. Because I was like, there's no way. You're losing 28-14 to 14 at halftime. I'll get a head start on our podcast prep. I'll delete this. And I'll just start reading. And then they storm back to win the game. That's how, that's how talented and how tight that division race is. A lot like the AFC West, the Jaguars and Texans, they took off like the Challenger rocket in 2020. <laughs> they currently have a combined record of 3-15. and 15. And Houston's, up until they beat New England this past weekend, yeah, their only two wins came against Jacksonville, who was equally pathetic. A lot like the West, it seems like they're just destined to only field two playoff teams. Neither of them, do they? No. Okay. When you look at it, the battle for who wins this, though, there's a lot at play. I mean, Tennessee is behind Indy in virtue of head-to-head record. But Tennessee has the superior conference record at 5-3, and three, and Indy is only 3-3. Three and three. The tiebreakers for this, if they split this weekend's game, are going to be wild. This con- No one knows how that division's going to go. And it throws his whole conference race into flux. And then each week when we talk about this, we're going to talk about wildcard action. <laughs> we're going to take a quick look at the games that, in our opinion, most impacted the conference race. Titans versus Ravens. Chris, I mean, that's the game, right? Yeah. What a game. It lived up to all of the hype. The Titans, in what was probably the game of the weekend, they knock off the Ravens for a second consecutive season. The game was close. It needed overtime, and the Titans had to come from behind. Once they, But once they got momentum, you saw the Ravens' defense, which everyone has talked about. Oh, the defense, that's what's going to carry them. The defense and the rushing attack. Their defense folded like a boxer who had eaten too many body blows over the course of four quarters. Compliments of Derrick Henry. The pre this game got hot before it even started. There was a pregame scuffle between the teams that led to both coaches just talking shit to each other before kickoff. How awesome is that? Uh, this was a playoff game. Yeah, it had a playoff like atmosphere because even a- after the game, uh, Rabel went to shake Harbaugh's hand and Harbaugh was like, "Nah, son, I don't do that." <laughs> brushed him off. You pulled the Belichick. Yeah, brushed him or Brady. Not shaking hands. The Brady? Yeah. Nah, not no, a- I forgot about that Yeah, guy. not after I lose. <laughs> after the way that game started, you knew you were in for fireworks, and it gave it to you. Late scores, overtime, late game heroics from Ryan Tannehill and Derrick Henry. The team's most expensive and most influential players stood out for the Titans, and it won them the game. And then, for me, because I'm a petty son of a bitch, another hilarious stat line for Lamar Jackson. What, 17-29? to 29? 186, one touchdown, one pick, a 74.8 rating. Chris, 
with just a punt and a field goal between two drives in the fourth quarter that consumed less than six minutes of clock, he continued a trend that's been plaguing him all season. His fourth quarters are actually his worst, especially against teams with top 15 defenses. He In his fourth quarters this season, Lamar Jackson is at his lowest completion percentage, his lowest first down percentage or conversion percentage on third down, and his lowest QBR. <laughs> wow, you suck at this. I, te- I, I text you shortly into the game. I was like, I sent you a screenshot of it. He was two for eight, 19 yards. He Chris, was awful. A quarterback who doesn't shine with pressure on him in the fourth quarter? Couldn't be my quarterback. Couldn't be my. <laughs> and then in the other game with playoff implications was the De- Dolphins versus the Broncos. Now, there's too much meat on the bone in this one to dig into here. Trust that we're going to be getting into this in detail with our friend Elf Artiaga from the Three Yards Per Carry podcast like we do every week over at our AFC's Roundup podcast that's going to drop the day after this one does. So Wednesday night. It'll be up. It'll be available. But ultimately, Drew Locke didn't look good. I mean, he made throws over wide open targets that would have made Josh Allen critics spontaneously combust. They... Chris, they somehow continued their no fourth down conversion streak. The Denver Broncos are the only team in football to not complete one fourth down conversion. Yet the Finns only had 82 yards in the first half. And the Broncos had their first lead since week eight, halfway through the second quarter. How pathetic are both of these teams? I mean, I think the Dolphins are just dealing with the... The ups and downs of a rookie quarterback. This is Tua's first bad game. The best was that we got to see Fitz Magic and Fitz Tragic all in like, what, 20 minutes? Yeah. Well, <laughs> you did. I didn't have the game on here. Of course not. I don't have. I have Sunday ticket and yeah. you do not. I do not have a dish. We'll never have a dish. <laughs> Ultimately, go over to our AFC's Roundup podcast and check out our recap of that game because it was a blast. But when you look at the AFC playoff picture... A look at the conference standings right now shows a massive amount of disparity between the conference's haves and have-nots. You have six teams with seven or more wins. Is that absurd? I mean, yeah. I think I saw a graphic during one of the games on Sunday. This is the most teams with an over 700 win percentage. I think it was the Sunday night football game. Most teams with an over 700 win percentage at this point in like any season in the last 10 years. That's wild. Meanwhile, you have five teams that are rapidly approaching mathematical elimination despite the addition of a seventh playoff spot. So you expanded the playoff field, and yet you have some teams that are so bad that they, they're still not in the running. <laughs> and there's only two divisions, the West and the North, that have leaders with more than a one-and-a-half game lead. As of today, we have nine teams jockeying for seven playoff spots. Now, I broke these into tiers. You have the locks to make the playoffs. Pittsburgh and KC. Chris, Pittsburgh can actually clinch a playoff spot on Thursday, Thanksgiving night, if they beat the undermanned Baltimore Ravens. Which they should. They should. And then you've got the Kansas City Chiefs, who we watched it. Even when the Chiefs play a mediocre football game from a passing perspective... They're still dominant. They can still grind out a game in bad weather. 
Yeah. It's a team that can travel anywhere, who can face anything. I mean, if you told me that was the AFC Championship game, Pittsburgh, KC, I'd believe it. Yeah. They're the two dominant teams in the conference. Then you've got comfortable guesses, comfortable assumptions. Indy, Tennessee, and Buffalo. Now, they're either leading or currently tied for the lead in their respective divisions. Given the resumes and the remaining schedules, even losing the division lead likely wouldn't preclude these teams from making the postseason, given just their conference victories and current record. Yeah. The Bills have done very well in the AFC this year. Yeah, and I like how our schedule ends. We play some easy teams. San Francisco's got injuries. soft schedule. Denver, you don't know about Tua in Miami because he's a rookie. Tennessee and my uh, Tennessee and Indy is going to be interesting to watch that play out over the course of the next few weeks, and then you've got your bubble teams. Which Chris, raise a beer. The Buffalo Bills are not in the bubble conversation. Yeah, how refreshing is that? It is refreshing. It's also refreshing to see that you didn't put New England in there. <sighs> I got to take a deep breath. We're going to calm down here. Slow it down. The bubble teams: Las Vegas, Baltimore, Cleveland, and Miami. Now. To my eye, Las Vegas appears to be the strongest of those teams. Even if they have issues on defense, their offense just went toe-to-toe with the Kansas City Chiefs. And for four quarters, I mean, they had the lead most of the game. Yeah. That's that's impressive. You're just not supposed to leave Travis Kelsey that wide open. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. No, you're not. Cleveland is an absolute wild card. I mean, despite having the most wins of this bubble group, they could absolutely shit the bet at any given moment because, Chris, they're Cleveland. They're the mistake on the lake. This is the team, Johnny Manziel. Yeah. The 6-3 game against Buffalo. This is a team. The 8-0 game against Buffalo. People forget that this team is capable of atrocities. Yeah. And if you if their fans lose sight of that, it could turn on them. Miami's odds. They took a hit this week with a loss to Denver. And worse is that, well, they're talented at the top of their depth charts. Their roster contains a lot of youth at backup spots. We talked about it at the onset of this season. They had a good offensive line, but then they opted to, what, draft all rookies as backups? Yeah. They had a 100% rookie backup stable. Yeah, well, they had a lot of picks. They had a lot of picks. Okay. Well, now those picks are now having to go out and play because of the war of attrition that an NFL season is. And what you're seeing is this team may not be experienced enough to handle the rigors of a long NFL season. I mean, we already saw the results of their beat-up offensive line on two of this weekend. Yeah. Sacks. All that pressure made the kid indecisive. He gets pulled from the game. And then you got Baltimore. Baltimore is probably more consistent than either Cleveland or Miami. But they've also proven that they have an offense that opposing coordinators on the defensive side of the ball have figured out. Lamar Jackson went on record to tell, what was it, Rich Eisen, when he was on the Rich Eisen show, talking about how he's in the he's at the line of scrimmage and Defenders are calling out the play. They know where the play is going to go. Chris, what quarterback in the world can overcome that? Not a lot. Not a lot. Especially not a guy who sucks at throwing to the numbers 
and doesn't have the strongest arm, isn't the best at reading an opposing defense and standing tall in the pocket and delivering. Lamar Jackson's, he's in a lot of trouble. Yeah. He really is. And I think that some of the shine has come off of both him and Roman's offense in response to the way their season has kind of fallen over the last few weeks. Yeah, and don't forget, uh, has also come off of uh, Barnwell's journalistic integrity. <laughs> that guy's a loser. If he got hit by a bus tomorrow, I'd go to his funeral. I, if, if and I, instead of roses, all of the all of the printouts of the tweets of his at us, trying to shame us for talking about how he was crazy about Lamar Jackson being great. I'll just lay him on top of his casket. If they lose, <laughs> if Baltimore... No roses. No, no, you get your tweets, and I'll send you to the grave with them. If Old Baltimore man. loses on Thursday, you should think about ramping up... Well, he has us build. muted at this point. I hope, he, <laughs> I hope he doesn't, but you should be tweeting at him nonstop if they lose this game on Thursday. <sighs> it's going to be interesting to see how this landscape changes over the next six weeks. Trust that we are going to be here with much more streamlined and succinct and snarky recaps of the standings every week from here on out as we head towards what's hopefully a 2020 season that ends with the Buffalo Bills atop their division. Here is your Week 12 rooting guide according to the Rockpile Report. You're talking about seven playoff spots up for grabs. I think it's imperative that Buffalo not only continue taking care of its own business, but that we also get some help along the way down what should be a manageable final stretch. The first one is the Steelers over the Ravens on Thanksgiving. I mean, that slate of games on Turkey Day is awful. It's atrocious. We tw- I tweeted out the, 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 the meme that the, the schedule on, on Thursday is the NFL's way of keeping people from gathering in large groups. That's how poor these games are going to be. What? The Texans versus the Lions? And then the Cowboys and Redskins. Oh, boy! We're coming out in droves for these games. You're still going to watch. Yeah, but I don't care. I'll, That's I'll, the difference. I watch, but I don't care. I'll be watching <laughs> intently. This game is going to be fantastic, though. Steelers-Ravens, considering it's an on-the-ropes Ravens team who has literally their whole season to lose right here versus a seemingly dominant Steelers squad who still has skin in the game. A loss by Baltimore doesn't help Buffalo statistically, but I'm petty. You know that. And as a guy who publicly battled with Bill Barnwell this summer over Lamar Jackson... Nothing would make me happier than watching him take another drubbing on a national stage so that balding idiot has to continue taking shit on social media for his postseason gushing over what is a bunch of box scores and filler. Philosophically, the Steelers could clinch a playoff spot and be one win away from clinching the division. All they gotta do is get through Baltimore. The last thing I want for the Buffalo Bills going into their Sunday night football matchup in two weeks is an angry Steelers team, right? Yeah, I'd like to have. I'd like the Steelers to be all wrapped up by the time we uh, see them on a Sunday night. There's the potential, depending on if they win this game and the way the division falls, they could have the con- they could have their division wrapped up by the time they play Buffalo in Buffalo on Sunday night football. I feel like the more unmotivated we can leave this team, the better. 
And so for that reason, I'm rooting for a victory for them. And then the Titans over the Colts. Now, I know there's going to be people out there who say, well, that doesn't make mathematical sense for reasons X, Y, Z. Listen, I'm not a genius. Here's what I think. I think it's best that the AFC South continue cannibalizing each other. As the lower their aggregate records are, the less likely it is that the AFC South will field multiple playoff teams. What I think is, because again, in the back of my head, there's this voice. What if we don't win our division? Then you know what I don't want? I don't want a nine-win or an eight-win AFC South team. I don't. So I'd rather they continue beating each other up. Trading blows rather than one team holding serve, especially when it comes to tiebreakers, considering that the Buffalo Bills have only played one of those teams. I think the AFC South, you know, to kind of mention your bet here with Greg Thompson, the AFC South is to football what Ponderosa is to stakes. Jesus Christ. That's that's an insult. That's an insult to football in general. (laughs) What I'll say is, if you out there listening to this, if you disagree on my logic, tweet us and let us know why you think. Let us know why. Who do you think is a bigger game this week? Who needs to win what? At Rockpile Report, I doubt you'd be shocked to find out that you're probably smarter than me. Thanks to a lack of natural athleticism or commitment or overbearing sports parents, fewer than 1% of 1% of 1% of people will ever play professional football. But instead of entering the NFL, they've joined another league, the League of Football Watchers. This football season will be different, and Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day no matter how you watch. Like this Sunday, from Drew's in Cheektowaga, we'll be watching Bills and Chargers. And thanks to Kyle Trimble of Banged Up Bills, Drew has his own stress bench. That's right, a wicker bench for when he gets stressed out about Brian Dable in the third quarter. But Pepsi is the refreshment you need to power through any game day because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game. It's made for those who watch it. Pepsi, made for football watching. 2020 has already reshaped how we work, and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time and there are no long-term contracts. And now, Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resume on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. 73% of online job seekers in the U.S. are visiting Indeed each month. So it's clear Indeed can help you get the quality hire you need. That's why more than 3 million businesses worldwide use Indeed for hiring. 
right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. And so with that, Chris... As we do every week, we need to inform our listeners of how you lost money this week <laughs> in this edition of Chris's Bad Bets. Here's an idea. Why don't you give me half the money you were going to bet, and we'll go out back, I'll kick you in the nuts, and we'll call it a day. What can I do with $5? See, I don't know. Buy a bullet and rent a gun. <laughs> well, I had Ohio State on the money line. That was a win. I had Missouri covering the spread six and a half. They won by seven. I had uh, I had another I had another one I can't remember, but I lost on Wisconsin on the money line because they had five turnovers. <laughs> and you look at, you don't you don't How does the team have five turnovers? But you you look at Wisconsin and Northwestern and yeah, they're both ranked, but no who would believe in Northwestern no being one. anything? Being anything like, oh, Wisconsin's been there before. They know what to do. They can handle an undefeated team that's kind of creeping into the top 15, and they just laid a friggin' egg. <laughs> Five turnovers is what is what killed me. But for Here's what I love that you don't realize, is that everybody you bet on lays an egg. No, I've had... I have a feeling that you are actually the mush. No, I've for, had... I, know, I know that you've never seen a Bronx tale, correct? I don't even know what that is. Yeah, so you have no idea what I'm talking about. But for our listeners who do, Chris is the mush. It's not this university's fault. It's not the head coach's fault. It's not the fact that they turned the ball over five times. They turned it over five times because Chris bet on them. Yeah, I've had five of my last six weeks have been one loss in my parlay, which oh. last week it was the, the Bills and the, and the catch. Who do you like this coming weekend? Well, I do like Pittsburgh by more than... They're Pittsburgh's favored to win by four and a half. I like them more. You like them more than that? More than that, because Ingram's out and J.K. Dobbins is out. Who's going to run the ball? Gus Edwards and Lamar Jackson? <laughs> Wait, you're betting on NFL football now. I've bet on NFL football before. I know. God. But if I win, I'll bet college mostly because that seems like this is what i hate we just get done talking about what a great thing it would be if the if the baltimore ravens could lose on thursday night football and here you go mushing them into victory no i don't think i don't think the ravens can win i want pittsburgh god i hate you pittsburgh to win by more than the spread by more than the spread yeah that's why they're gonna lose because you're putting your money on them well it's also in pittsburgh so Folks, as I sit here and see that Chris over him dooming us to failure, it's time for our Week 12 preview. The LA Chargers against the Buffalo Bills. I'm actually glad that you got that right. You said Los Angeles. Yeah! Who knows what they're doing? This guy. I run the show. The time, 1 p.m. Eastern Standard. Our last 1 p.m. game until the end of the season. Yeah. Wow. What a month. What a month we're shaping up for. The place, Bill Stadium Orchard Park, New York. The weather, it's going to be partly cloudy, 49, which is actually pretty nice here in western New York for a November. Yeah. Which sucks. I kind of wish there was a little bit of snow. Maybe. Yeah. Well, I mean, I was kind of... 
you know, if we weren't in a, such a COVID world, you know, tomorrow night I'd be Ubering. Saturday night I would be Ubering. I'd be making cash upon cash upon cash. Yeah, you think that... Rem- tell the listeners about when you drove three drunk girls home to Grand Island because you thought that you could get lucky or at least get a number and instead they puked in your car. No, no, no. That was... I don't know what you're talking about there. That's not even remotely close. I did... my fir- It was my first time ever Ubering past midnight. And... I picked up three people, a dude and two girls, oh. and I took them to Grand Island where they lived. And the guy was in the front seat and clearly had something for one of the girls in the back seat because he was getting pissed every time she brought up some other guy's name. <laughs> and then they just proceeded to vomit on my floor <laughs> as we drove under the Peace Bridge. It's the best. That's what Thanksgiving night is, Chris. Yeah, well, you know what? Don't fool yourself. It's a trash fire. Okay, well, that, that car is no longer with me. The, is it, you should have burned it that night rather no. than cleaning it. No, I love that car more than my family. On the call, we have Greg Gumble and Rich Gannon, which tells me, Chris, they're not giving us the Spiro Ditas treatment, which means they assume this is going to be a good game. Yeah, I think uh, Greg Gumble's the number two team for CBS. That's my point. They gave us the B squad, not the D squad, the B squad, not the Tuesday afternoon around lunchtime at a strip club. Tom McCarthy. <laughs> and the spread, according to betonline.ag, the bills are minus five and a half. I don't know if I like that number. I don't know if I like it either. That's weird. Yeah. Five and a half. Zzz. Injuries to watch. The Buffalo Bills wide receiver John Brown with a knee injury didn't practice on Tuesday. Chris, he's such an integral part of this team. Yep. Like, that merits watching over the course of the week. And then center Mitch Morse with a concussion. Now, McDermott was unnecessarily shady when he was asked about whether or not he would play, which obviously rankled the fan base. Yeah. Isn't that coach speak at its finest when they said, hey, is Morse going to be out here? Yeah. And he goes, well, maybe. Yeah, and Bruce Nolan of uh, Bruce Exclusive puts up on Twitter about McDermott's co- coach speak press conferences this week. I mean, the guy's ambient. He's walking. You put it before. He's walking ambient. We stopped listening yeah. because it was worthless. That's also why we did our own press conferences a long time ago. I know. We started our own press conferences before I was too tired on game days. By the time four o'clock in the afternoon rolls around, Chris, I just don't have this. <laughs> yeah, it's my son is literally sucking the energy yeah. out. Of me. It's odd that that's the reason we're not doing it is Jack because last season when we did it. We come home from games, I know, unpack and do it. We used and to now, get up at five a.m. and yeah. then come back and do this. And now we're not going to games because we can't. And you're too I tired. don't have the energy. You don't have the energy to. Do Does it. that give you a blueprint for just how much of a drain having a child is? Glad I'm not having kids. Folks, I want to preface this game with a little story. Whenever we play the Chargers, I cringe. I cringe. My palms get a little sweaty. I I don't know what to do. They've been a source of angst and damage to my liver for a number of years now. First of all, the most recent, the scorching hot home opener. The second warmest home opener in Bill's history 
in 2018 where our Australian listener Mike Swenson wore jeans because he was confused that Buffalo was just cold all of the time. Yeah, he probably got advice from me to wear jeans to a warm game. It's because you're a mutant and you, for a guy, although I will say, I'm surprised Swenson was hot considering he grew up near the equator and you grew up, what, in the south? Yeah. God. The Peterman debacle of 2017 that made us the laughing stock of the NFL for, it, what, a year? Even after we pulled out of it and made the playoffs, we'd still get the Peterman thing thrown in our face. Yes. I even get it now still occasionally. Whenever I try to criticize an opposing fan base, they go, yeah, well, at least we didn't do this. And you have nothing to say. What's your, <laughs> what's your retort for someone telling you, hey, at least our coach didn't bench our starter and then the backup threw five picks. Yeah. <laughs> I'm lucky I blacked out before that game ended. If you bring it up around any Bills fan, it's just groans and grimaces and cusses. That's it, right? Yeah. We are all like that should hurt everybody, not just me. And then you go even farther back. A pair of losses in 2014 and 2011 where the Bills only managed 10 points per game. Manual in 2014 took a fourth quarter safety. Which just underscored how futile our whole day was. A, f- a safety with eight minutes to go in the fourth quarter. Your team has 10 points. You suck. In 2011, Fitz Magic went full blown Fitz Tragic, completing just 38% of his passes for less than 200 yards, throwing two picks, one of which got returned for a touchdown. Now, Chris, I vividly remember that game, and here's why. (sighs) Fittingly, as I had broken up with my on-again-and-off-again toxic ex-girlfriend at Ralph Wilson Stadium during the Bills' Week 3 win over the Patriots, in essentially what was a celebration of me living my best life. I've told that story in this podcast multiple times. Yes. She was being a flaming bee. I was literally waiting in line to get her a pretzel because she was too drunk to be in public. And she stumbled down to the lower concourse to harass me about why I wasn't back sooner. And I told her that I would pay a woman. I told her she needed to go back to her seat before I paid a woman to punch her in the head for me. Because I knew that that was out of bounds for a man to ever strike a woman. And she, her friend dragged her, you know the friend. Yep. Her other drunken cohort dragged her back to the seats. And a girl in line looked at me and goes, you're standing here to get a pretzel for your girlfriend? And that's your girlfriend? And I said, yeah, yeah, this this is my life. And she said, call me when you're single and gave me your phone number. And that was the moment that I decided I had to, listen, I, I need to live my best life. The Leotis McKelvin just picked off Tom Brady. The game is turning and I need to go live my best life. So I break up with her during that game. Fast forward to this game against, in 2011, against the Chargers. Fitzpatrick is now in the full throes of tanking this season. I'm out of beer. I'm in alcohol-fueled despair. I'm just... Chris, you've seen me now pacing around my house. Yeah. 
Yeah, we strolled into that Chargers game at uh, five and seven, losing one, two, three, four, five, and we were on a five-game losing streak. Five-game losing streak, and you go out there and complete thirty-eight percent of your passes. I'm sorry, I'm just going to drink myself into oblivion and pretend that this isn't happening. And instead of falling asleep like an intelligent human being, instead, what I did was I realized I was out of beer. I had no beer. I didn't know what to do. I knew I couldn't drive to the store. And as I'm looking at my phone, I realized that I'm kind of lonely. And I called my ex. I drunk dialed my ex-girlfriend who not only showed up with beer and pizza, but then proceeded to on and off date me for another two and a half years on <laughs> yeah. further ruining my life. Well, not necessarily because... If we look at that moment, it's 2011. I moved back to Buffalo that November, and I met you that January during the playoffs. So if it wasn't for the Los Angeles-San Diego Chargers, this podcast doesn't exist. I'm willing to hear some of that, because I do understand that that— I'm I'm willing to hear all of that. Raise a glass. We'll drink to that terrible, terrible broad. But here's what I'll say. Our hilariously flawed relationship was the only positive to come out of that thing. When you take all of that, the sweat, the tears, the liver damage, all of which I've experienced as a result of the Bills playing the Chargers, you're going to have to forgive me if I'm not thrilled about this game. Even if on paper it does look like a decent matchup for the Buffalo Bills. So here's the hoping that this one can kind of erase some of the scars of the past. So with that, we crack a fresh beer, and we invite to the show first-time guest, not the first conversation we've had with him, Mr. Garrett Sisty. How are you doing, sir? Uh, good. Um, I, I think you've been drinking too much because we've—I've been on here a couple times. I've seen you, you a couple you times. You actually have, but this is the first. This is the most sober I've ever been for this. Oh, so you remember? That's good. Okay. <laughs> no, I remember them. First time this season. Long time ago before, and I remember... See, we just got done explaining to our listeners what a painful experience these Chargers games are for me. Both... <laughs> no, no, seriously. Both in... Philosophically, both by record of the team, how the team's performed. Because you guys have had the Bills a number for a while now. But also, just some things in my own life. Some stupidity. You know, it's just... <laughs> There's emotional scars there, and hopefully this Sunday's game can do some things to heal him. Now, for those of you new to the show, Mr. Sisty, on his Twitter handle, says that he inadvertently worked at Target for a half hour. I'd like yeah. to know the story behind this, as I'm sure my listeners would as well. Oh, dude, okay, yeah. No, this is a great story, and I wish uh, I wish I had the tweets to pull them up. But basically what had happened was is I walked in with Target one day, and um, not unbeknownst to me, a woman walked up to me and said, hey, an old woman, by the way, this is like, she's in her 80s, right? So at this, she walks up to me and goes, hey, do you know where the throw pillows are? And I look down and I realize I'm wearing a red shirt and I've got brown pants on. So the, guy, so the woman thinks that I work at Target. But this is an old woman where I can't go, you know, I don't work here. Let me go get an associate. Like, this is a woman that I almost had to, like, link arms with and walk her to throw pillows. So, basically, I'm on my phone trying to figure out where throw pillows are because now I'm an employee. I'm too, I'm too in it now. <laughs> so, I go. 
and I walk her over to throw pillows, can't find throw pillows, or she wanted, th- excuse me, she wanted a throw pillow case, the very old woman thing, not even a throw pillow, she wanted a throw pillow case, I didn't even know those existed, I go over to throw pillows, I go, I don't know where throw pillows cases are, but here are throw pillows, sold her on two throw pillows, should have got commission, never did, <laughs> so then she got her throw pillows, some woman sees me talking to this woman, this older woman, and she goes, my kid spilled something in aisle five. So then I go, you know what? I'll get somebody to clean it up for you. Never told anybody about it. Walked out the door. I was in there for about a half an hour helping this old lady. A uh, woman wanted me to clean her mess. It was this whole thing where I was so deep into this thing where I could not tell the grandma, this old lady, that I did not work there because I didn't have the heart to. And then another person, and it just kept rolling and rolling, that I was then basically working at Target for that half an hour. Chris, that's almost like a Buffalo thing. Like, ah, I got to do this good deed for somebody, even yeah. though I don't want to. And it's... <laughs> Sounds about right. It's, that's a perfect jumping off point for this entire conversation, because we, we were talking a little bit off air about losing the football team from San Diego and how that's changed your approach to podcasting and blogging. What are you guys working on over there now? Nothing. Forget it. Now, uh, you know, it's it's all the same. I mean, it's business as usual over there on Bolts from the Blue. When we shift uh, from San Diego to L.A., uh, a lot of people stayed on. A guy I know you're familiar with, which you talked about, Jeff Sinyard, he left. But um, some people left. Some people stayed. Um, we're all still covering the Chargers there, still doing the podcast. Um, of course, the passion and the emotion is a little bit different now that they're not in our hometown of San Diego. But uh, still cover them nonetheless. <laughs> Man, Chris, that would be hard. Yeah. It would be hard to continue doing this podcast if the Bills ever left Buffalo. Yeah, I think we would just light our Twitter account on fire. Oh, well, that's coming. <laughs> I mean, for those of you out there listening to this podcast, the day is coming. There's going to come a day, because Chris and I only use social media because of this podcast, which is why we have one joint Twitter account, and it's only for our show. And when the day comes that it's defunct, know that we are going to burn this thing down. Burn it down. Scorched earth. No followers. I mean, it's before Twitter has a chance to like ban us, you're all going to unfollow anyway. It's going to be hilarious. Stick around for it. So with that said, let's talk about the Chargers. Now, this is one thing I find interesting whenever you talk about a team in, a, in your conference but in a different division and especially someone who's so far removed from the day-to-day sports conversation that you're used to. There's storylines for every team that affect their seasons and the outcome and the trajectory of it that people are only vaguely aware of from positional competitions and players who've kind of you brought in, but didn't live up to their expectations shifts in team philosophy where teams are kind of sorting out their identity, whether it's because of a change in personnel, a change in coaching staff. And then when uh, Herbert cuts his hair, (laughs) cannot forget that. Uh Of course. So for the 2020 chargers, when you look at this team now sitting at three wins and knowing what kind of the idea of the team with a rookie quarterback and a kind of a veteran placeholder quarterback coming into the season, is this team following the trajectory you saw for them coming into 2020? No, no, absolutely not. No, the plan was that Tyrod Taylor was going to be the stopgap for 2020 and then Justin Herbert would take over in 2021. Going into training camp, not only because it was a short training camp and no preseason, Anthony Lynn had talked about how Justin Herbert was the backup, and he was the backup for a reason. They did not want to play him this year. They did not think he was ready. And then, lo and behold, a couple weeks into the season, uh, 
Tyrod's got a rib injury. They go to poke a needle, and they puncture his lung. He can't play. Justin Herbert then goes in last minute, like an hour before, which might have been a good thing for him because he didn't have any time to kind of prepare or have the nerves going. He was just thrown right in. And uh, ever since, they couldn't take the job away from him. I mean, Anthony Lynn wanted to give Tyrod Taylor his first real – as he put it, legitimate start as a starting quarterback in the NFL. You know, he's he's been with teams, obviously, with the Bills and stuff, but he's never really been given a chance. And Anthony Lynn wanted to give him that chance and let Justin Herbert go in 2021, but he played so well that Tyrod just can't be, get back on the field. That's now the second time that's happened to Tyrod, where a fluke injury costs him his starting job to a rookie. I mean, unfortunate. It's, it, it's unfortunate because he's not a bad guy. I mean, he's a great human being. Well he's dressed. A, he's an, I'd say, a slightly above average quarterback in the NFL. I think he's a good backup quarterback. I don't know that he's anything you would ever confuse for a high end starter. And you touched on something. The way he lost his job was due to injury, which is a freak thing. Is it fair to say that injuries have been a storyline for the 2020 Chargers? Yeah, yeah, I, mean, I think you could probably put that in every year. I mean, Chargers are always bitten by this major injury bug. Uh, it was Derwin James to start the year, Austin Eckler, Tyrod Taylor. I mean, there's just been a litany of injuries. Bosa's been out for a little bit. Melvin Ingram's been out for a little bit. So you're right. Even you know, your backup running backs. I mean, that whole situation has kind of seemed like a revolving door. As someone who has played fantasy football and has been yep. incredibly frustrated by this because you're like, who's getting the carries here? Who is yeah. the Chargers running back? The one week you pick up Troy Main Pope and you say, okay, maybe it's this guy, and you put him in, and he gets no touches. So then the next week you pivot and you pick up the other running back. He gets no touches that week. Who? How, how badly has this offense been kind of warped from what it could have been? with Justin Herbert at the helm just because of these injuries? I mean, injuries have a lot to do with it. I would say the coaching has even more to do with it. Really? Uh, you know, having Austin Eckler would uh, really help this offense, and he was just designated off IR to return anyway today. Um, I don't think he'll be there Sunday against the Bills, but he'll be back in the next week or two. But, yeah, I mean, this this rotation of running backs, that you know, they drafted Joshua Kelly this year out of UCLA to kind of be the running back two, and uh, he had a good game or two to start his career, and then once Eckler got hurt, he kind of fell off. Justin Jackson, who was the third running back, who's going to step in for Eckler as RB2, uh, hasn't shown up at all, was injured throughout the year. They ended up getting Kalen Balage, who was an undrafted free agent, and now he's been kind of the workhorse. He's been the most impressive back out of all these running backs since Austin Eckler. So, um, you know, Troy Mann Pope, like you mentioned, um, had a hot game. But, you know, it's just – it has. I mean, it's been a rotation of those four running backs. And Kalen Balazs so far the most effective. Austin Eckler to return very, very soon. But, you know, uh, this offense is is pretty dynamic when they just let Herbert cook. There's been a – a real old school philosophy with Anthony Lynn and their offensive coordinator Shane Steichen to run the ball early and often and take the ball out of Herbert's hands. And uh, when you do that, it hasn't been successful. And what they've done is they've jumped out to big leads 
And then in the second half, they're trying to run it to slow down the game and drag on the game, and then they end up losing it ultimately at the end because they won't let Herbert throw the ball. So uh, <laughs> this offense has, has had its issues, and it hasn't been because of the rookie quarterback. Well, that's one of the craziest things about this Chargers team. I mean, when you look at just the offensive statistics, it's a little hard to believe that you only have three wins this year. You're number three at the time when I was looking this up. So you were number three in total offensive yards, number nine in yards per pass attempt, number nine in rushing yards, and number three in rush attempts per game. And your quarterback just set a record for being the first quarterback to score three or more touchdowns five times in the rookie season. So to me, that would scream offensive efficiency, offensive prowess, and yet the Chargers are below average in scoring at just 17th in the NFL, and you've got just three wins. How is it that a team that can has so, so much success in aggregate statistics still not finds success in that regard? I mean, that that's kind of what I was alluding to. What, what they do is they get out to big leads, and there's a lot of offense early on, and then they try to drag a game out. And when you play against these teams in an NFL offense, I mean, these guys are high-powered. You can't just try to drag out a game by running it three, four, five times during your drives. It's just it doesn't work. And they don't have the offensive line to grind out a game late like that, and they don't have any good running backs to grind out a game like that. So what they're doing is running into a brick wall in the third and fourth quarter, uh, letting the offense kind of dip a little bit, lose the lead, and then have to try to get it back. So, you know, while Justin Herbert is basically performing how Mahomes did his rookie year, they just don't have the same, you know, offensive game plans as the Chiefs did when Mahomes was a rookie. They aren't letting uh, Herbert do his thing. They kind of let the, the, let the, you know, kind of let Herbert go a little bit more this week against the Jets, but, you know, it's it's just been a philosophy that everybody's seen and everybody has complained about, but the offense just thinks, and Anthony Lynn's a running back guy, that he thinks that he can grind out a game late, and uh, they just don't have the talent to do that. So in terms of specific personnel, the Bills, because <clears throat> this is one thing I've been curious in is the, in the run-up to this game about your offense, the Bills run just about 72% of their plays from the shotgun, usually out of three and four wide receiver sets. Is there a favorite formation of the Chargers? I mean, specifically when you're talking about trying to orchestrate this passing game that obviously works with Justin Herbert at the helm. Yeah, I mean, it, that's that's around what the Chargers do. I mean, their offense with Buffalo isn't that much different. I mean, they they usually go three wide. They depend on their tight end, Hunter Henry, Dawson Knox. I mean, there's it's not that much of a difference in terms of offense. You've got a quarterback that wants to do play action like Josh Allen. I mean, it's. It's kind of really similar in that respect. Really? So then Herbert. Now, he's obviously been electric this season. Everybody's high on him. And unlike fellow rookie Tua Tagovailoa, he's clearly the straw that stirs the drink for the Chargers offense. Tua has been a product of a team that's been good enough to protect him. Whereas, Chris, I don't think it's unfair to say that over the last few months of football, the only reason the Chargers offense is moving is because of Herbert. Yeah, he'll be rookie of the year. Oh, 100%. I don't even think that's up for debate anymore. If you could describe the Justin Herbert experience here in 2020 with just one word, what would it be? Surprising? I mean, coming out of college, the quarterback you see now is nowhere near the quarterback he should be right now. He is way outperforming anything he should have been. Uh, he was he had problems with anything outside of his first read. He had terrible decision making. 
Um, when the game was on the line for Oregon, he, he shrunk and uh, he couldn't push it across. And for the Chargers, it's like there's nothing he cannot do. He can get yards with his feet, his arm. Uh, he, I mean, he's been able to do everything possible and more. I mean, to think that a guy, Justin Herbert, the third quarterback drafted, and for most people, and I, I don't know anybody that had him above the third quarterback, he was more the third to fourth to fifth. I mean, nobody really had a good gauge on him. And for him to come out and be one of the best rookies, win offensive rookie of the year probably, and probably set even more rookie rec- records as a quarterback – is amazing and completely surprising to everyone that watched him in college. Now you talk about corollaries to Buffalo. When you, I'm looking at the numbers and I see that Justin Herbert is is with all these things he's accomplished. He's done it while having the 26th most time to throw in the NFL. You mentioned the subpar state of the offensive line in terms of the rushing attack. How is this offensive line in terms of pass protection? It's, it's bad all around. Pass protect and run game and whatever you want to call it, horseshoes, whatever. It's all subpar. It's not great. And, uh, you know, they, they had a problem going in the draft with the offensive line. They picked up Brian Balaga um, to play right tackle in free agency. They made a trade uh, with the Panthers to get Trey Turner for right guard. And that was supposed to completely sure up the right side of the line. Uh, they've been injured throughout the year. And since they've been healthy, they haven't been much of anything. Uh, they decided not to address offensive line in the draft, and they've struggled because of it. Um, they, it was a huge, huge need. And with a rookie quarterback, you think that's, that would have been a spot they would have gone to. But um, Tom Telesco, the GM of the Chargers, has tried to fix that offensive line every way possible, and he just can't do it. He doesn't have a good eye for talent on that line. And this year is uh, definitely proof of that because they've got a rookie who is electric. When you give him just a little bit of time, even when you don't give him any time, he's good. Give him a little bit more time, and he's lights out. They can't give him enough time to win games right now. Well, that's the thing. Josh Allen early on in his career was just constantly under fire. He kind of had to play cowboy-style football. Whereas now you look at it, Josh Allen's one of the top in the NFL in terms of time to throw. Some of that's because of our offensive line and the way they pass protect. Some of it's just his own ability to buy time with his legs. But ultimately, you can see the disparity in performance, but really they're not that far away when you look at the numbers. I mean, the eye test will tell you that Allen's probably the better quarterback right now, but the numbers, Herbert's not far off. And if he could just get some help, who knows what that kid could be. Now, where do you see in ahead of the you're going up against a Bills defensive line that started out the season really, really slowly. And then over the course of the last few weeks you've seen as they've gelled and gotten a little healthier, our sack production and pressure production is starting to ramp up. You know, we're also using AJ Klein more near the line of scrimmage. We're bringing him on more blitz packages, which I think was what he was intended to be all along. So our defense is starting to round into form from a pass rush pass rush perspective that this is what we expected from this team. Where do you th- where do you think that the Chargers offensive line is going to struggle the most to try to pick up and deal with that? I mean, the left side has struggled all year. Um, their left tackle, Sam Tevy, and uh, left guard, Forrest Lamp. Forrest Lamp has been pretty good, um, but just off the left side, Sam Tevy's just had his issues. Um, he's he's going to have his hands full with speed rushers. He always has guys like Jerry Hughes. He's always had problems with Jerry Hughes. Sam Tevy was on the right side, and uh, last time they played, they 
ran Jerry Hughes over to Sam Tevy's side a few times on the right side just to kind of give him a couple extra looks, and he had his issues <laughs> on that side. So, uh, you know, just uh, that left side's going to be open for business on Sunday. Um, I'm not looking forward to that matchup. Um, you know, you hope that the chemistry of Trey Turner and Brian Balaga, who have had success in the NFL, uh, would finally click. Um, hopefully this Sunday is that day, but that left side is still a huge question mark. I like the sound of that, Chris, because <laughs> when you look at our defensive end group, wouldn't you say Jerry Hughes is the guy that you, if you were to pick a DN to have a big day, it's probably Hughes, right? Yeah, I'd like to see him have a big day. I'd also like to well, see... I'm just talking about people who look like they're capable of it. Yeah, well, just for your sake, I'd like to see Epinesa get a look. <laughs> don't, don't... <laughs> if it happens, do you, I can just see the smug look on your face now. Oh, my God. Look, I'm already angry at you. The <laughs> game hasn't even been played, and I'm already mad at you. <laughs> and then, when I think about the Bills' defense against Justin Herbert specifically... One of the things that rookie quarterbacks and young players struggle with is when you have, especially zone-style defenses, when you can kind of mix and match play formations and you can kind of, when you have players on the back end especially, with like a safety tandem like what we have, that allows us to disguise our coverages to a significant degree pre-snap. I mean, we've used those tactics to frustrate some of the game's most electric, electric quarterbacks here, like Kyler Murray, Russell Wilson. How has Herbert fared in instances where you see defenses kind of running some games, disguising their coverages? Has he been able to sniff those out? And how worried are you about him going up against a secondary like this? I'm not too concerned. I think uh, early on he had a lot of issues uh, with disguises and stuff, but there's – there, just over the last three to four weeks, he's really elevated his game in terms of like being able to read a defense, and he's now making checks and calls at the line. He's a lot more comfortable now than he was a couple weeks ago. Uh, even though they lost to the Dolphins, I felt like Herbert had a pretty good game against a really good defense. And I think you know while Buffalo's good too, I I. You know, again, I don't. I don't think the Chargers win this game. I don't know if we were going to get to that, but a spoiler <laughs> alert. But um, in terms of Herbert, I think he still gets off. I think he still has a good game, and I think he's going to be able to get his. I, I don't think he'll have that many issues. I think he might make a mistake or two, but no, I'm I'm not too concerned about him right now. He's just playing lights out. Well, and that's the thing that scares the hell out of me because that's usually the stumbling block for rookies. We saw it this week with Tua Tagovailoa. Chris, I mean, he, you, you, well, put you a, saw it. I didn't get to watch the game. It wasn't on your locally. <clears throat> you put enough tape out there as a young quarterback. Last year, the Buffalo Bills played three different quarterbacks who were, none of whom had a full season of NFL action under their belts. And then the rookies who had just started playing all had at least two or three games of tape out there for public consumption. And in those games, the Bills not only went three and oh, but dominated these young quarterbacks. Because usually, you, once you put enough tape out there and defensive coordinators can get a feel for what it is you're trying to accomplish, they'll take things away and make that young quarterback pivot. They'll throw some different looks at him and say, okay, we know in this situation he likes to check to a tight end first. Let's take the tight end away and see what he does. And a lot of times those young quarterbacks can't get over that hump, whereas Herbert's impressive because it looks like he's figured that out. He's kind of remained unflappable in the face of that, which tells me he's probably a pretty good quarterback. I mean, it's one of the things I'm most concerned with in this game, because to your point, I very much think he's still going to get his, regardless of how, many, how much pressure 
regardless of how our secondary plays. I mean, I don't... Chris, do you see a world, considering how the games that this kid has had, do you see a world where the Bills hold him under 280 yards passing? No. I don't. don't. No, not at all. So that's what it's going to be, is this is almost going to have to become, for the Buffalo Bills, this ultimate bang but don't break. I mean, we've done it against talented quarterbacks, but this kid just scares me. Now, on defense... Let's take a look. I mean, obviously, last week's game, I mean, you were missing Joey Bosa. So I, I got to watch Sunday's game, and I couldn't take a whole lot away from what you were trying to do. Joey Bosa's a load to handle from anybody, but I've heard fan rumblings that Ingram might be a little bit washed. What's, what's going on with that? Yeah, I mean, um, going into the year, he wanted a new contract. They gave him one for this season. And, uh, you know, he's just kind of reached that peak, it seems like, this year. He's just kind of – he's always been an above-to-good pass rusher off the side. And having Bosa and Ingram at their peaks was really nice to see for a couple of years. But, no, I mean, Ingram is kind of a, a – he's not – I wouldn't say he's a shell of his former self, but he's definitely not what he used to be. I don't know if that has a lot to do with the injuries or not, but just not playing up to as good as he has been. Joey Bosa will be there this week. Um, and I think more than Joey Bosa was because they were playing the Jets. You couldn't take much away from that because they're terrible. <laughs> and there's nothing really to uh, take away from that game. Uh, we, we, we do our AFC's Roundup podcast. And God bless his heart, but uh, Jets podcaster Scott Mason shows up every week for it and just takes a beating. Just takes yeah. a beating. And I feel bad for him. It's like watching a football team. I don't. Point, he deserves it. <laughs> Garrett, at what point of that Jets game did you feel sorry for them? Because it happens every time I sit down to watch him, even for as petty of a human being as I am. I, you end up just feeling bad sometimes. Yeah, I didn't this time, and I'll tell you why. Because the Chargers almost lost. I know they won, <laughs> but during that second half, they were close to giving it away. So you were still scared that, is this the one? Because they, a couple of years ago, they gave the Browns their first and only win under Hugh Jackson. So I thought this was going to be another one of those, but uh, luckily it wasn't. But once they lost, you're kind of like, oh, yeah, this team is a mess. And also the Chargers aren't – should have won that handily. Well, what happened in that second half? That's a great – total aside here, but what happened in that second half with Did, your did they try to run the clock out again? <laughs> well, no, because you had mentioned earlier that the offense wasn't really doing much. But I've watched some of the NFL's most more questionable defenses easily handle – the New York Jets. So what did they do differently that gave you guys so much trouble in that second half when the Jets made their comeback? Well, one, the Chargers have a hard time closing the door. There's not, there's no fight in this team. There's no like step on their throats and end the game type of attitude in this team. So they always let everybody hang around, no matter what. Every win they've had, teams have always been close to coming back. So there hasn't been any real blowouts or anything to that respect. But also... You know, what the Jets found and something that teams are starting to attack now is that Casey Hayward, one of the Chargers' better corners and have been for years, has lost his long speed. And they've targeted him deep a lot. And uh, they did it against the Jets. And um, Nasir Adderley, the Chargers' free safety, was having troubles giving him help. And so Casey was one-on-one a lot on Sunday. And you saw guys like Denzel Mims running free deep and – this is going to be a huge matchup on Sunday because you got guys like, you know, Cole Beasley and Stephon Diggs and John. Uh, yeah, that that's going to be a matchup that's definitely going to be a problem for the Chargers. Casey Hayward's been great uh, to the short intermediate, but when they re- really try to stretch him out, it's been problems. 
Well, and that's and that's where I think the crux of this battle is going to come down to. I mean, you look at what the Bills are. Last year, we ran 70% of our passing plays out of 11 personnel and out of the shotgun. This year, they've pretty much done the same. They've alternated out of three and four wide receiver formations. We're playing seventy above 70% of our plays out of the shotgun. Not even just just passing plays, but all plays out of the shotgun. And so what that does is it puts a lot of stress on the defense because you're you're flooding the field with defensive backs if you're trying to slow that down. You're not giving, like you said, Anthony Lynn has a very old-school mentality to football. You're not giving your opponent's team a lot of time to play base. There's no base defense being played by your opponents. And it's like college. You're looking for the mismatch. Where can I find a weak link in your secondary? So how deep are you guys in cornerback in terms of being able to play nickel and dime formations against competition? Like, because you're going to be dealing with, I mean, obviously, Stefan Diggs is the, he is the apple of our eye. He is the number one wide receiver. Chris, he's open on every third down when you need him. Yep. He's the guy that Josh Allen will look to when he needs a big play. But at the same time, on a play-to-play basis over the course of a given drive, You've also got to contend with Gabe Davis, who is a six foot four rookie who has fantastic hands, and Beasley, who, listen, he, we, we all knew that he was talented and that he was a slick route runner and that he was too shifty for most linebackers to keep pace with. Then you watch him go out into last week's game against Arizona and he breaks Patrick Peterson's ankles off the line for a touchdown. Like, I assumed if anyone would be doing that, it was Diggs, and instead of it's our slot receiver, Cole Beasley. How how prepared is your secondary for a passing attack that has that many weapons? Uh, that's a tough one for the Chargers. I mean, uh, we talked about Casey Hayward. They've got Michael Davis, who's their corner too, but in the slot has been an issue. They had Desmond King. I, I mean, nickel and dime, like you talked about, that's been their best defense for the last couple of years. Uh, in fact, they ran it all the way through the playoffs, beat Lamar Jackson with a big nickel, yep. ran seven DBs, and it was a beautiful game plan. But since then, you know, they went out and signed Chris Harris, who's been injured. And so, um, you know, they haven't had him for a while. They had Des King, but uh, they've had issues in that building. So they ended up trading him away to the Titans. So their corners are now made up of, you know, their one-two, which is Davis and Hayward, which have been their one-two for two to three years now. But uh, in the slot has been Devon Coleman, who had a pick six against Joe Flacco, but who cares? Um, but it struggled throughout uh, the rest of his career, and he's a UDFA, you know? So they don't have the big depth in cornerback, and their linebackers have struggled. I mean, they they got the rookie Kenneth Murray in the first round. They traded up for him, and he's been just okay so far. Really hasn't sh- shown to be that first-round talent that everyone thought he was, and they've had problems with other linebackers, and they're now running with Denzel Perryman, who was a guy – they were thinking about not even bringing back during free agency. He's now the second linebacker and not a lot of guys who can cover. Kenneth Murray is a guy who struggled in coverage. Denzel Perryman struggled in coverage his whole entire career. So that middle of the field, especially with a guy like Cole Beasley, is going to be open for business. I don't – they just don't have the speed and they don't have the talent to keep up with these guys. I mean, that's our, th- th- I will say that as someone who has no – like I said, I have emotional scars from playing the Chargers over the years – but Are I, you talking about Nathan Peterman? Oh, my God, no. It runs so much deeper than that. So okay, much deeper than that. Not the five interceptions in the first half? Not that one? I blacked out halfway through that game. Oh. So thank you. Mercifully blacked out halfway through that game. It so, was five interceptions. So <laughs> you out. I, just I appreciate make you. Sure you, knew you know what? In the first half. This is why, Chris, the people, 
the people, the guests that we've cultivated for this show are great because they're just as petty as we are. I love it. Yeah. I love it. Well, I mean, well, there is a reason we did get you a wicker bench for this week. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, they, they actually, they someone, Kyle, Kyle Trimble from bangedupbills.com was driving and saw a wicker bench out at the curb outside of somebody's house for the garbage. And he picked it up and dropped it off at my house because he knows that I have a lot of outbursts during games, but I've never been, I'm never violent towards people. It's always inanimate objects, mostly furniture. I, I, I like chairs. For some reason, chairs are nice. You can throw them. So now I have this piece of wicker furniture that I can go outside and destroy when I have to, and I feel like it's going to come in handy during this game. I know it. Because your offense is built to frustrate our defense, but our offense is probably going to be able to keep pace. I'm hoping anyway. I mean, the other question I had, now you touched on Nasir Adderley not being able to give help over the top. I want to know how involved the safeties get here. Because obviously, the reason you guys have lost so many games this year is because your offense scores a ton of points, but your defense, to your point, can't shut the door on anyone. When I look at this, you're looking at the Bills playing some of the more dynamic safeties in football. You got Buda Baker, pro bowler, do-it-all safety in the box. He can make plays deep, comes on the blitz. He was even around the line of scrimmage against the run versus us. We found a way to score what should have been the game-winning touchdown in that game. Jamal Adams, blitzer, you know, he brought some, he, he's not much in coverage, but he acts like an extra linebacker out there, and he gives you a different dynamic, and he certainly brought the heat a couple times on Josh Allen. And the McCourty brothers against the Patriots, they're talented, and they're multifaceted safeties. They're strong in most phases of the game. The Bills were able to handle those defenses to the tune of 24, 44, and 30 points which I think illustrates that you can't fool Allen at this point in his career, which is something we know Poyer and Hyde are capable of. We watch him do it every week against some of the better cornerbacks in football. Do your safeties bring anything special to the table now that Derwin James is out of the equation? No, when you take Derwin James out of the equation, you got nothing. I mean, it, he was he was supposed to be that dynamic playmaker, the the Buddha Baker esque near the line of scrimmage, playing box safety, playing all of it really. I mean, yeah, I'd rather gush about Derwin James and talk about their current safeties. Uh, Nasir Adderley was a the guy they drafted in the second round, struggled this year. Um, he had problems last week, like I mentioned, helping over the top, and he's he's been hit or miss throughout his. Uh, First year playing free safety. Their strong safety, Rashawn Jenkins, was free safety. Had to step down to strong safety just to help out when Derwin James got injured. And, uh, I mean, Rashawn Jenkins is just fine. I mean, safety is one of their weakest positions, for sure, once you lose Derwin James. I mean, Jenkins has been okay, but uh, he's a mess um, when he's meant to tackle and go down the line of scrimmage. And uh, he isn't great on the back end either. So uh, the safeties are an issue and uh, they are definitely not up to par to the guys you mentioned earlier is there any chance the bills running game gets going this week last question i'll lob at you i don't know if you you may have stumbled across it at some point or maybe heard whispers of this but the bills rushing attack might be one of the most pathetic i've seen i chris When's the last time a Bills offense? Because primarily we've had terrible quarterback play over the last 20 years of my life, at least. So we've kind of been reduced to running the football and prioritizing that as the crux of our offense. So to know that we now have one of the more dominant passing games in football, 
and suddenly cannot muster a rushing attack. We we can't run the ball to save our lives. Does your defense have any? I mean, is there any wiggle room in there? Considering how bad they sound like they are against the pass, any chance the Bills' ground game gets going this week? I mean, sure, they gave up 61 yards to Frank Gore last week. He got a touchdown, too. I mean, yeah, if you can let Frank Gore get a touchdown in 61 yards, sure, Zach Mox can go off. Why not? Well, how did he – so how did – I'm interested to hear this. So how did Frank Gore manufacture his yardage? Was it – I'm assuming it was between the tackles because I don't see him – I don't see him running a lot of stretch to the back. To yeah, the sideline no, type lot, runs. That's exactly what it was. A lot of stretch plays. Uh, they got him out in the space in <laughs> the passing attack, and he even returned some kicks. No, it was all between the tackles. It was all downhill. It was all bruiser back, plotting, you know, power back runs. It was it was nothing special, and uh, he, you know, he, he ended up going for, I think he had, what, like 15 carries, 61 yards, and he scored a touchdown. Would you take that stat line for Moss? Is a sign that the Bills have fixed their running game issues, or would you look at? Or I'll take that at, for Moss, but not as like like a oh I'm, good job. Like, so not the yeah. aggregate for the rushing attack. No. You want more? Yeah, for Moss. How many yards rushing would it take for you to be happy? Because our coaching staff, Sean McDermott, said this week that they took a hundred as a team. He said they took a quote unquote deep dive into their into their film, and that they think that they have an answer for our rushing attack problems. Yeah, I know what it is. I know what it is. T.J. Yeldon, he's a three-down back. <laughs> T.J. Yeldon. When our GM said that, I wanted to put a gun in my mouth. <laughs> so, with that in mind, Chris, 100, that's the number for you. Yeah, I'd like you to see one. You would feel comfortable that they had this. As a team. See, I don't know. If thing, I feel like if Frank Gore can get 61, we'd need about 120 to 125. Because this is the team where you don't want to keep feeding them the football. You don't want to let their run defense stop you on the occasions when you do attempt to run, especially between the tackles, because now you're punting a lot. You're giving the ball back to their offense, which has proven it can score with anybody. Yeah, and who knows if Borquez is going to punt the ball 12 yards. (laughs) Why are you speaking these things into existence? I'm just getting fired up for Sunday. Oh my you got god. that wicker bench. I'm excited for it. Oh my god, the gifts that are going to get made out of this. Oh. Yeah, I, you know, I don't know if he's going to go over 100. I think I think Ronald Jones is the only running back they gave up 100 yards to this year. But um, yeah, they're averaging about 65 yards on the ground. I think that Zach Moss can probably get 100 with Josh Allen. That, that's pretty close. They could probably get there. Have you guys faced a running quarterback at all this season? And if so, how did that factor into the way your defense responded? No, I don't. Um, I mean, they, they faced Tua, but he wasn't obviously a, a rushing threat then, no. <laughs> or isn't anyway. But um, no, no, it's all been older. The Tom Brady's, the Drew Brees, Joe Burrows, you know, that we haven't, Chargers haven't really faced any r- rushing quarterbacks yet. Well, hopefully, hopefully there's some room on the ground because Chris, this strikes me as a game where you want to get you want to get up quickly, and then you want to try to run this thing out. You you want to do the thing that apparently the Chargers cannot do, which is run the ball, burn as much <laughs> clock as humanly possible, and get the hell out of Dodge. Because I have a bad and Chris again, I, I'm willing to admit that it's my PTSD from years of abuse at the hands of the Chargers. I've just got a bad feeling about what might happen if you try to get into a shootout with this football team. 
The yeah, guy, I'm trying. And I think, I mean, Patrick Mahomes, if you consider him a rushing quarterback, I don't know if you do, but I think he had 55 or 54 yards on the ground. Patrick Mahomes. Is he a rushing quarterback, Chris? Is he a passing quarterback? I think that might be the closest. He's a, pa- he the, he's, he's he a passing the, quarterback that doesn't look when he throws and can also run. Is he the Pope of quarterbacks? Like, is he the quarterback right now? At this he's, point? he's number one in the NFL in my book. He's, yeah. he's absurd. Is yeah, what he is. Ugh. So, Mr. Sesti, as we wrap up this conversation about Sunday's game, one thing that you're hopeful about, one thing that you're terrified of, and a prediction if you had to throw a dart at the final score. Okay. I am, let's see, I am hopeful that Justin Herbert does as good as he does against uh, good defenses, and he goes for, I'm going to call it 350. Okay. I think he goes 350. I'm hopeful for 350. Um, I am concerned with the speedy wide receivers. Uh, Stephon Diggs, Cole Beasley, John Brown, they all scare me. Uh, that is that is the fear for the Chargers. And a prediction, um, it's always close. The Chargers are always in a one-score game. So I think the Bills win 31-28. Why don't you tell all of our listeners where they can find you on social media, where they can find your podcast. Uh, guys, Garrett, not only is he entertaining, he's also, by the way, just looking in the background, he's a musician. He's yep. multi-talented. And also handsome. the very first – I was going to say, the, well, you say handsome. The very first yeah. time I told Chris before you came back to the microphone as we were talking off air, the very first time we met you, I was bombed on that round table. And you showed up and you said, oh, wait, who is this guy? I didn't know we were drinking, guys. I thought this was serious. And I'm over here just making wild predictions. I'm probably 12 beers deep. And I looked at Chris at one point and said, Chris, this guy looks like Zod. He looks like General Zod. <laughs> Oh, okay. I haven't I haven't got Zod before. That's a good one though. <laughs> Where can everybody find your work? And uh, if you write music or do whatever the hell you're doing back there, why don't you talk a little bit more about that? <laughs> well, um, I, music's behind me. I haven't done music. Still, still producing podcasts and audio and all that. But um, I'm at Garcisti on Twitter. The podcast is light. At, um, Lightning, uh, I don't know what the podcast is. You tell me. Lightning Round <laughs> Podcast. I almost said Lightning Score. I have a podcast called Score More, and I have a podcast called Lightning Round Podcast, and um, it's all it's all good. I'm over at Accuracy. I'm surprised we've gotten this long, and you haven't mentioned my thing on Twitter about Josh Allen, but I'm glad we can get out before I have to address that. Garrett Sisty, bolts from the blue. SB Nation for the Los Angeles Chargers. Go follow him on the Twitter, the Bird app, as Schofield calls it, at Garrett Sisti. Chris, what's left but to give our keys to victory? Wow, it's a lot of keys. Bigger the keychain, more powerful the man. I'd have a beer in each hand for this one. I've only got a couple, and I'm not, there's no deep thinking going on here. Because this is pretty simple. You're playing a three win football team. Yeah. That's it. First of all, Beasley against the linebackers and safeties. When you look at the stats that Beasley has put up, one of the most impressive things about him this season is that you don't need him, right? Chris, he's almost an after... I don't want to say an afterthought, but when you look at what Diggs has been for this team, when you look at what Brown has been for this football team, they get all the press. Yeah. 
Cole Beasley has three 100-yard receiving games. He's got three touchdowns on the season. Oddly enough, only one of them coming during a part of those 100-yard receiving games. He's that guy that they turn to like, hey, we have nowhere else to go. (laughs) You're our guy. And when you looked at it here, you think about the injuries. We were talking about this a little bit earlier. And it's something that we're going to dive into in more detail in this week's AFC's Roundup. The injuries that are going around the NFL. John Brown has missed time. Yeah. And when the team has found itself without him, look at in that Jets game, no Brown, no problem. 12 targets, 11 receptions, 112 yards. He goes out after tweaking his ankle against Arizona. He's on the sideline. Cole Beasley, 13 targets, 11 receptions, 109 yards and a touchdown. I understand that people are nervous that John Brown might not be available. I feel like in the Tennessee and the Kansas game, Josh Allen wasn't ready to, he didn't know how to answer the bell. He was so used to relying on the fact that John Brown was going to be available for him. And then by the time the Jets game rolled around, and most recently the Arizona game, he figured out how to get by without him. I mean, in the New England game and the Seattle game, where John Brown was healthy and running around, Beasley saw no targets. Think about this, Chris. The Jets game without him, he had 12 targets. His targets dropped to two and three against Seattle and New England. And then they skyrocketed back up to 13 because he was out against Arizona. He's a reliable target and he's hyper productive. And this seems like the team, based on what Garrett told us tonight, he could be that player for. I would almost argue this is a team you can afford to rest John Brown against. Wouldn't you say that? No. Oh, you would try to force him out there, wouldn't you? Oh, not force him out. I just get healthy. I, I don't want. I like ha- or use him as a decoy. Is, no, can we I, do that? Can we use him as maybe, a decoy? Is that allowed? But what I'd prefer is to see this team without John Brown prove prove once again that it can go out there and because think about it, our offense. You want we Gabe, did enough. You, you want Gabe Davis to prove he's the two in waiting? Kind of. I want to see Gabe Davis a little bit more. I want to see more from him. And I also know that we have this wild card in our back pocket, which is Cole Beasley. Against their linebackers and safeties, they don't scare me. I think this could be a big day for Beasley if they allow it to be, while also letting John Brown continue to heal up. I also think that this is a day where you have to find your rushing attack. Cover One over on Twitter did a great job of outlining things that have gone well and things that have gone wrong with the Buffalo Bills rushing attack. I urge you to go check it out, but here's what I'll say. This is a game against a team that has been gashed by everyone they've played. They're not an elite football team. Are you scared? Knowing what you know about the Chargers and having the conversation about them that we've had. Are you worried about their ability? I mean, their offense can score points. Are you worried about their defense? No, I tend to think this is going to be kind of a high scoring game. I mean, you're talking about a team that gave up 28 points to the New York Jets. That in and of itself is impressive. And the thing that I like is that they've only held opponents to under 100 yards rushing three times all season. Now, you talked about it during the show, what you thought a good rushing attempt would be. 
And you said what? 100 yards? Yeah, just give me 100 yards as a team. rushing as a team. As a team. See, I'd take it a step further. I'd say I look at this 140 yards coming from the Jacksonville Jaguars. I look at the 160 yards rushing. The, I mean, the Raiders, they have a good running back. Everyone else is putting up 122, 125, 115. Chris, I, I'm, I'm looking at their game charts and I'm saying to myself, why not us? Why not the Buffalo Bills? Wouldn't that give us the ability to dictate play to them? Control the clock? Squeeze them the way that they, as Garrett kind of outlined, they keep trying to squeeze their opponent after they get a big lead. And they can't do it. And they can't do it. It would be perfect if we could run the football well in this football game and keep Justin Herbert on the sideline enough that we don't give their high-powered offense enough time to stake a big lead like they've done against all of their opponents. I think this is the game. Sean McDermott said it. And I rolled my eyes the same way a lot of other Bills fans did when Sean McDermott said in his presser, wow, we've watched a lot of tape and we think we have things figured out. Do you believe that? No. (laughs) What makes you say that? Brandon being called TJ Yeldon a three down back. So I don't believe anything they say about their own running game. That's unfortunately, that's a fair criticism. Yeah. What I'll say is that I think if there was ever a get-right game for your rushing attack, it's this one right here. They've held... (laughs) They've never been able to stop anybody all season. You should be able to make that a focal point of your offense in key moments and make hay with it, especially with the talent that we have on hand. I firmly expect them to do that, and I think that... Barring some kind of meltdown, I don't know how the Bills lose this game. And yet it's the Chargers. They've ruined whole stretches of my life. Yeah, they have. What's your prediction for the game, sir? Uh, It's going to be high scoring. I'm not going to be surprised if both quarterbacks are over to 300 yards passing. That wouldn't, no, you're right. That wouldn't be surprising. I am going to go with a Bills win. 30 to 27. Give me a bass late field goal for the win. Or you know what? Because you know, the Chargers have been doing have been losing like Bills like ways. I wouldn't be surprised if it was a tie game and we were going for a game winning kick and it got blocked and returned only to find out that it was an offsides call and the touchdown is negated and then we kick again and bass misses and then we go to overtime. I could see something like that. How, how dare you? What do you not understand about the, this concept about speaking things into existence? Oh, hey, we've done billsy things this year, like the Cardinals game, and the Chargers have been losing, like only we know how to lose. So I could see something like that happening. But I'm going to go with in regulation. Bills win thirty to twenty-seven. I'm just looking at their game charts, and I'm what I'm noticing is that. For all the love that Herbert gets, he threw 174 yards against the Dolphins. Now, they're a team that has spent the most money and invested the most draft capital in any team in our division against, in terms of the secondary, right? Yeah. He threw 275 against the Broncos. They have A.J. Bouye. They have some decent safeties. They have an okay number two cornerback. They're a decent defense. Yeah. They threw 239 against the Saints, who are Marshawn Lattimore, 
with the way that the pass rush that they have there. I mean, that's a legitimate defense. 278 against the Buccaneers. These are all, well, the the last two are barely playoff teams. The first two were. I mean, Tampa Bay, the Saints, those are playoff teams. And he performed well. Lately, I mean, he, yeah, he tuned up the Jets secondary. But Miami, 174. And Miami's on the bubble right now. Yeah. The Denver Broncos are not even in contention right now. So with that, why should I be scared of this guy? If I think that my defense is a playoff defense, why am I afraid of this kid? I think they hold him to under 300 yards passing, and I'm willing. I think the Bills win. I'm willing to stake a Seagram's bet on it with you that they hold him to under 300 yards. All right. We're on that. Bang! COVID fist bump. (laughs) Ultimately, I think the Bills are touchdown winners. I think they cover the spread. All right. I'm willing to say that. I think the Bills cover the spread. I won't pick a point total because I just can't. But the Bills cover the spread in this one. I don't know. What do you guys think? Tweet us at Rockpile Report. Ultimately, it's a huge boon to us that we have somebody like Garrett Sissy to come on the show and kind of give us some background information on this team. It was fun to get all this off our chests and talk about it and talk about where the Bills stand in the AFC East and the AFC playoff race. It's been a blast, but we got to get the hell out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. That was Garrett Sisti. And this has been your Rock Pile Report. Football is back in full swing. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use the promo code BLUEWIRE at BetOnline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.